This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnewschi.org. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. Even though it is cool to hear the kids yelling out sometimes, helps me in praise. As they're heading out, if you could join me in prayer as we uh, prepare ourselves to receive the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for our little ones. As they transition, Lord, we pray that you would speak to their heart, Lord, that you would help to settle those truths in their hearts, that you would help them to see the truth of your word, even at a, at a young age. Lord, we pray for the teachers, that you would empower them, Lord, to speak uh, your very words, Lord. We pray that they would be engaged and, and feel loved. Lord, we pray the same for us, Lord, that as the preaching of your word goes forth, I pray that your word would permeate our attitudes, our hearts our biases, Lord, anything that we're struggling with, Lord, and that we would bring those things to you and ask that you would forgive us of those and you would ask that you would help us to receive your word today, Lord. I pray that you would help us to receive it in a way that we could then be actionable, Lord, and that we can move forward in our walk, Lord, all under your provision. Thank you for this time. Thank you for our, everyone that is here and all those who have put a hand in preparing our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want to let you all know that we have a library downstairs, and there's been some work around the library, and we're looking to bring back some things that used to be uh, part of uh, Good News. So we're going to be working on that more and more. And so hopefully if there's any, um, any book or anything you're thinking about, we, we have a catalog, and then in theory we could give you a book or a text for your own, for your own kind of learning. Uh, some of you all say, I only read on, online or on Amazon, you know, using a tablet or something. So we don't have that. But, you know, like the old books, like with paper and stuff, that's what, <laughs> they smell good sometimes, like those type, those books. Um, this uh, week I received a, a sad text, I would say, from a Good News Bible Church member. Uh, they sent me a, they sent me a video, and in the video, it talked about uh, a lot of famous preachers and a lot of famous pastors but in, in a video, it was showing them making some false claims, some things that were not true. And the person who texted, uh, I told them, hey, uh, this, this video is right. Like, done a lot of research on a lot of those teachers, and they indeed are teaching some false, some false things about the scriptures and false things about God that God did not say. And I just bring that up because that just means that our time here in the series that we're in right now, which is basically a study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And these things were prophesied and fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we get all of this from the Bible, straight from the scriptures. In fact, I want to let you all know that we study and read from the Bible and we preach the Bible in the Good News Bible Church family. Like that's what we're going to do. If you need something else, like somebody gave you the wrong address, like we're always going to start from the scripture. We often don't start with like, well, what do I need or what does the world need or am I hungry? We don't start with any of those. We start with 
What do the scriptures say and how can they edify our body? And we do try to match that up with seasons, but the start is always with the scriptures. A strong stance because it is a strong truth. Talking about truth, it reminds me of how truth is often looked at in our world. There's a story where two men had a huge argument, and so to figure it out, they went to arbitration. They went to a judge. First, the plaintiff made his case. He was very eloquent. He was persuasive. He was kind of using his body to emote, and he explained his reasoning. When he finished, the judge nodded his head in approval and said, that's right, that's right. All of a sudden, the, you know, the other guy... The defendant, he jumped up and said, hold on, hold on, wait a second, judge. You haven't even heard my side of the argument yet. So then he persuaded to tell his piece to the judge, and he too was persuasive and eloquent. And when he was finished, the judge got up and said, that's right, that's right. All of a sudden, the clerk got up and said, uh-uh, uh-uh. Judge, they both can't be right. They were saying opposite things. And the judge looked at the clerk in, of the court and he said, that's right, that's right. <laughs> and this is, isn't this what we kind of see today? We, 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 it seems that any truth, as long as someone is persuasive and eloquent, we give it to them. We're like, you know what, that is true. We even say things like, it's your truth, as if truth can be ownable, right? It's, it's your truth, yeah, it's, it's true, even if they're saying opposite things. And it reminds me of another story that I read. It talked about the devil. Of course, this is not actual. It's a, it's a story of. The devil was walking along with some demons. And when they saw a man ahead, they saw him pick up something shiny. They saw a man ahead of them and pick up something shiny. And the demons asked Satan, uh, or the devil, what, what did he pick up or what did he find? And the devil said he picked up a piece of truth. He picked up a piece of truth. The devil replied, and then the demons go, doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of this truth? This is what the demons asked. And the devil said, no, I will see to it that he takes just this piece of truth and makes a religion out of it. You see, anyone can grab one truth and build a whole thought process from it. But what we need to do is we need to cling to the scriptures. We need to see that the Bible is the truth and a light unto our feet. The word of God is truth and the truth. Two verses that speak to this really quick. 2 Peter 1.20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No one just kind of picked up a truth and, and elaborated that's in the scriptures. No, the Bible tells us that people were moved along by the Holy Spirit in writing those. They were moved along. It is from God. John 17, 17, this is during Jesus' high priestly prayer where Jesus is talking to his father. And, and we have insight to a conversation between Jesus and God. Excuse me, Jesus and God. And Jesus says in there, sanctify them in the truth. And then he defines truth. What does he say? Your word is truth. So today, as we encounter the Bible, there's a people group that did not recognize Jesus as the Son of God, we're talking about the Pharisees. They believed Jesus to be false because Jesus, Jesus didn't follow their piece of truth, their manufactured truth. And the big idea is that Jesus is going to use a miracle to show that he is indeed God and a Savior to all who 
believe. First for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. And if you ever thought about what that meant, first for the Jew and, and, and then the Gentiles, we're actually going to dive into that. And uh, your head might explode like mine did a couple times this week, but we have a lot. I think we have like three, four doctors in the house, so we'll be okay. Join me in Matthew 12, verse 9. Matthew 12, verse 9. And at Good News Bible Church, we read out of the English Standard Version. The Word of God says, Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. How many of you all know sometimes you got to focus on a small piece of the scripture? It might, it might run past you. Look at the part where it says Jesus entered the synagogue. Does anyone see that in the beginning there? It literally says, Jesus went on from there and entered the synagogue. You see, on the Sabbath, local Jews would meet together for, guess what, what they would meet together locally on a certain day at a certain place? To meet for prayer and to, and to meet for the reading of scripture. That's, that sound familiar today? The reason why I say that is because a lot of times people say, well, if I'm a Christian, I don't have to go to church. Well, if you're a Christian and what a Christian denotes is a little Christ or, you know, following Christ, being a little bit like Christ, more and more like Christ, Jesus went to synagogue. And think about it. Jesus went to synagogue and how much did he need to learn? <laughs> he knew everything. Because I know that's what some people say. They say, man, that, that pastor hasn't taught me anything in like three years. Well, Jesus knew everything. Guess what? He still went to the synagogue for prayer and for the reading of God's word. Isn't that amazing? Once Jesus even in, a, in that synagogue read from the book of Isaiah. He read the Bible out loud. Matthew said, Jesus entered the synagogue. I hope you're hearing that. Jesus went to synagogue, a public gathering for worship at a public place. That's the model that Jesus gave. Jesus went to church. <laughs> he went to church, everyone. He did go. Jesus going to the synagogue leaves no real excuse for non-attendance for the believer. Just wanted to say that. Spurgeon says it even better. He says, Jesus set the example of attending public worship. The synagogues had no divine appointment to authorize them. But in the nature of things, it must be right and good to meet for the worship of God on his own day. And therefore, Jesus was there. He had nothing to learn, yet he went up to the assembly on the day which the Lord God had hallowed or made separate. Isn't that amazing? So I just want you all to catch that. Uh, one thing I've always heard is a living example is often more powerful than a spoken one. And Jesus showed that. Let me tell you all another way. One way you know if someone growing up was like really bad or like a real gangster in the neighborhood 
wasn't by their speech or what they alluded to, what alluded in terms of their beliefs about their gang or their beliefs about what crime they were going to do. The person you knew who was a real bad person or who was a person really about that life was the person who was actually in the doing, a person who was actually in the going. And so I just want to challenge everyone. We cannot be like Jesus if we do not have a habit of gathering with the saints. Amen? And there's multiple ways to do that here at Good News Bible Church. Let's get to the crux of the story. Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand. Now, this idea of withered hand, the word actually means like dried up, so it could have atrophied. He could have like some type of paralysis, perhaps. And this man is there at synagogue, but notice two different people groups, or two, well, one, Jesus one, and then a people group. The people group, the Pharisees, saw this man, and they saw an opportunity. They saw a situation. They saw an issue. What do I mean by that? They saw a problem. They did not look at this person as an opportunity for God to do something. They didn't see him with any humility or, or see his suffering. They just saw him almost like a problem. And what they did was the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus saw this man, and what did Jesus see? Jesus sees someone who needed his help. So the Bible tells us that Jesus exposed their hypocrisy. And how did he do that? There was a person in need, and Jesus heals them. And right away they go to, you just did a work on the Sabbath. You did work on the Sabbath. And Jesus gives them a real world, a real world example. He says, let's say one of your animals fell into a ditch. Would it not be good to save that animal? You see, you can do good. And for them, in an agrarian society, that would have made total sense. And so Jesus is saying, I just saw, I just saw someone, and I helped them, and I saved them, I, I healed them. The reason why this is powerful is because, you see, in order to fulfill the law, what a lot of the Pharisees did is they built buffers before the law. So they tried to create extra laws so that they wouldn't disobey the actual law. And in doing so, they created what we call legalism. They created a system of man-made rules to, in theory, follow God-made rules. And there's a whole lot of pride built into that, mainly because you just try to add to God's law. And so Jesus did not break God's law. In fact, Jesus, by doing good, by showing compassion, healed the man. And we know that he was absolutely healed because he did this in public and no one questioned it. The man did something that was impossible for him, and he was able to because Jesus healed him. If you remember, his hand was atrophied or withered, but then he was able to stretch it out and do something that he hadn't done before. The Pharisees saw this, and they desired to conspire and destroy Jesus. The so-called religious leaders of the time rejected Jesus. And I think there's a little, bit, a little bit of application here for us. When we see the troubles of the world, or when we see the sick, or when we see the poor, do we see them as a situation, a problem, or do we see them as a time, an opportunity 
to do the work of God, right? I just think that's a quick application there. Join me in verse 15. Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Jesus, aware of this, remember they're conspiring against Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Scriptures tell us that Jesus withdrew. Jesus knew that the Pharisees were desiring to destroy him. Notice also that others followed Jesus. Jesus knew of all of this all along because all of this was prophesied. Prophesied. Jesus knew there was going to be rejection. And the prophecy that gets brought up is Isaiah's prophecy. Let me tell you some things about Isaiah's prophecy. One of the first things that Isaiah speaks of is Jesus coming as a servant. And I want to let you all know that Jesus is a servant, but I don't know if you all know that Jesus is what we call the servant with the capital S. There are various scriptures where they talk about Jesus as the servant, and it's a capital S. It is a title given to Jesus. Acts 3.13 is an example of that. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you have delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You see, Jesus came as the servant in whom God the Father was well pleased. So Jesus was going to come as a servant. And we know his major work to come as a servant was to provide a way for us to be saved. So Jesus was chosen as the servant to provide a way for God's people to be saved. Think about it. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection were all service. I don't know if you all think about it that way. Those were all acts of service or being a servant. Jesus served the Father and in a way served us in those deeds as well. And the Bible tells us now that as you pray to God the Father... Jesus still serves us. Do you all know how? When we pray, the Bible tells us that he intercedes on our behalf with God the Father. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, some of us like to have a prayer buddy. We kind of all do. We have Jesus who intercedes on our behalf to the Father. The Bible tells us that the Father's soul is well pleased by Jesus. Therefore, those who believe in him can be as well. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be Gentle, exemplified by this idea of the bruised reed, which is a real, it's, it's already, already a delicate plant. And even bruised, Jesus is able to be gentle. Jesus does, does not just finish the job, he cares for it as well. What type of people did Jesus serve? Scriptures are clear. Jesus helped those who were weary and needed rest. And if he's doing that gently, you can almost think about, some of you all know that one of the best things about being a parent is um, that snuggle time. Some of you all as adults still snuggle. I don't know about that. But you got the little kid, the little baby, and that baby's just resting, and there's that like nice quiet time. 
before they wake up all crazy, right? When you think of Jesus like that, Jesus is someone that sees situations and really lends a comforting, comforting hand. And it isn't just physical rest, but rest for the soul. It's a wholeness. It's a servitude. It's a care for all of us, for all of our needs. Jesus placed the need of others before his own. We see that in Jesus' humility in his work throughout the scriptures. He was, he was a humble servant. He often placed himself in situations where he served, exemplified best by the washing of his disciples' feet. Also exemplified by him riding in on a donkey, right? Not riding in on a military animal. <laughs> he, he came on a, an animal of burden, an animal of burden. Jesus is gentle. He's a gentle servant. He gives many chances to repent and come to him. Think about the story of the prodigal son when that father runs towards, right? Jesus served in his crying, and Jesus served and was a servant in his death. He gently laid down himself. So Jesus' ministry of being a servant reached out not only to Israel, but think about it. In Israel's rejection, who else did it reach out to? The Gentiles. You see, Jesus provides a hope to the Gentiles. That's what this prophecy is talking about. So when you think about stretch out your hand, that stretch out your hand was originally for the people of Israel. But in their rejection, God has done something where now that stretched out hand can be stretched out to Gentiles. Talking about us. Talking about them at that time. We're going to go a little bit divergent here. We're going to go to Romans 11.25, and I'm going to explain how this works out in the scriptures. Romans 11.25. It reads, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now remember, Romans was written by Paul to let believers know about the gospel. It's one of the clearest presentations of the gospel. And he tells them in here that there is a mystery. There's something that not fully understood that Israel, in their rejection, they rejected God. So guess what God did? God hardened their rejection. They rejected God, and God hardened their rejection. But in doing so, he allowed for what scholars call a time for the Gentiles, a time for the non-Jewish. So we're going to dive into this idea like a belly flop, okay? Y'all with me? The verse that kind of starts all this is the verse that sets up the Abrahamic covenant. If you recall, God made a covenant with Abraham. It reads... Look at, I'm going to read from Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says this. Go from your country, God talking to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families on the earth will be blessed. A land, a people, and a future blessing. This is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And this covenant was an unconditional covenant. 
Usually in a covenant, you have two sides that agree to do what they're going to do for this covenant to be made right. But in this covenant, it was an unconditional covenant. And the sign of this actually happened while Abraham was asleep. So God did this for both parties, himself and Abraham. And back then, what they would do with these covenants is you would have the animal sliced in half, and both would walk through it. But the scriptures tell us that only, only God walked through it. So that means that God is going to fulfill what he said. And we know this to be true. God's solitary action indicates that the covenant is really his, his promise, his covenant with Abraham. Abraham did not walk through God fulfills this and does this for Abraham. And then the sign that went with this covenant was circumcision. That was the sign of it. So historically, God's people were often, you guys have read the Old Testament. We've preached that here. They kind of always were like off and on, right? There were times when they were serving God and we saw them prosper. We saw them growing. And there were times when they were, you know, we read some, we studied some of the scriptures where they were in despair, and they were not in their land. You all remember when we did, uh, what's it called? It's, forget about it, I forgot. The book where it's all really sad, Lamentations. <laughs> so we talked about Lamentations when we heard all verse after verse of all this weeping and crying over the situation that they were in. And so when the Jewish people rejected Christ, they were temporarily cut off from the blessings of relationship with God. And as a result... The gospel was then given to the Gentiles. This is the time of the Gentiles. The partial hardening of the heart for Israel doesn't mean that Jews can't be saved now. They can. But we're talking about the salvation of the nation of it. That that has been put on a pause. And now there's a time for those of us who the apostle to us was the apostle Paul who wrote Romans. He's saying that that time is now for us to be saved. And many of us are here because of that. Israel hardened itself, so God hardened Israel for a time of saving Gentiles. Ephesians 3.6 says it like this. This mystery, so if you're feeling a little confused, you should, because it's literally called a mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. One of the ways that it gets talked about in scripture is if you ever heard of grafting, you know, you take a, you take a tree and then you have a branch that you can kind of put together. And this is often done with olive trees, which they would have understand because they were in an area where there was a lot of olive trees. And then you have this grafting where it then become part of what was at the bottom, of course, the root. So Christ fulfilled the promise God made to Abraham, that at Abraham's seed, all the peoples in the world would be blessed. Do you see that? We're the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Those of us who believe, who are saved just like a Jew would be saved. A, a believing Jew would be saved. We are saved as well to be joined in that. Anyone who might have doubts about God's faithfulness and keeping his promises can consider these passages as important reminders that God has a detailed plan that he is fulfilling patiently and carefully. And the time of the Gentiles in the future will be, will be done. And, and this is future in Rome and, and Revelation. And, and Jesus will come and he will save the nation Israel 
and he will save those who have believed as well. So how shall we live in light of this? First thing I want to say is we are Gentiles. God is saving any who believe, including Gentiles. God always has. We are Gentiles who have been saved. What about other Gentiles? What about other Jews? Generally, when you think about salvation and how it happens and God coming as a gentle redeemer and God saving this man with the withered hand and helping him and healing him, often our spiritual work comes down to one word. And it comes down to the word that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts often is, is service. It's service. Jesus was a servant. Jesus was the servant. Jesus' service brought people to the Lord. Our sacrificial services can be useful to God to do the same. That's why people say things like when, when you're working for God, you know, it's, it's your spiritual act. It's a spiritual act. When, you, when you're serving, it's a spiritual act. It has something, it has some way of helping people come to the Lord. You know, there's all these little things that go on in the background sometimes for someone to then receive that gospel. Like, who taught you the gospel so that you would be able to teach it, right? And who taught them, and where's the layers and levels of that? To be like Christ, we must serve. But many of us, when we think about serving, we think about this. Let me give you all this one. Most people, this is a quote from a newspaper in London. Most people wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. They just want to be an advisor. And I'm going to let you all know, we got, a lot of, we got a lot of advisors all over the world telling us what to do. We good with that. We need people that would go beyond the advisory role. Uh, imagine if Jesus just went the advisory role route. I always think of, when I think about service, I always think of some good examples. And one of the best examples is, anyone know about the founder of the Salvation Army? His name was General William Booth. He's the founder of it. There's one time where he loses his eyesight, and he has a son named Bram Bramwell. Uh, I don't know you were named Bramwell. I don't know what that means. But anyway... His, his son, Bramwell, came to him with some bad news. He said, Dad, you know, he said, Father, it looks like your sight is not going to be able to be helped. This was a time later in his life, and he said, your sight's not going to be able to be helped. It looks like you're going to be blind. And look at what he says. He says, Son, I, I got to contemplate this. I shall never see your face again. No, probably not in this world. So he speaks about heaven, I'll see him, he'll see him again in heaven, right? But then he tells his son, I have done what I could for God and for his people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God without my eyes. The reason why I bring this is because sometimes we always look at our weaknesses when it comes time to serve. I can't do this, I don't know if I have the time for that. But let me tell you, when you start serving, when you start actually doing the act, when you do the actual act, it's funny how so many opportunities and time opens up in your schedule. It's what we call in math, in math class, we call it the best way you can win a kid to mathematics understanding is to have them do the math. A lot of times there's a lot of talking about the math and they don't actually get it to the fun part of the math, right? In the doing. So in the doing, you learn about service. 
It's not something you can just hear sermons about. I'm going to lead you with this. Years ago, the Salvation Army had a big gathering, and you know the general was supposed to come. William Booth was supposed to come and, and speak to them and let them hear from him. But he had huge physical weakness. So all he did was he cabled, uh, that's old school email, he cabled his message to them saying he only had one word for his speech, and his speech was others. So I just say to you in closing, consider others, and with God's leading, position yourself to serve others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray for the heart and mind and the hands to be others-minded. Lord, you came as a servant. Lord, you healed, you walked amongst, you served, Lord. You even washed feet. Lord, you have given us many examples, Jesus, in your scriptures. We pray, Lord, that those examples will not fall on deaf ears, Lord, that we will be able to see your example of servitude, Lord, your example of living for others, Lord, even dying for others, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that as you have given us the spiritual giftings that you have given us, that you have given us the opportunities to serve in word and deed and in action, Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow your example, Lord, that you would ensure us that and help us to be sure that we cannot do this on our own, Lord, but that we would rely on the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to guide us, Lord, to fill us as we look and see others, Lord, and see others who need help and see others who do not know you. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to serve. Lord, we pray that we would take advantage of this time where the gospel is here. The gospel is here for all. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to serve as a church family and in our time away from our church. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewschai.org.